Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Hey, folks. Welcome to the very first Am I Called podcast. I'm your host, Dave Harvey, and joining me on our maiden voyage is Paul Tripp, author, lecturer, president of Paul Tripp Ministries, and actually most meaningful to me, he's been one seriously grace-filled source of friendship and care to Kim and I on so many occasions. Hey, Paul. It's good to have this opportunity. I am so delighted, Dave, that there is somebody that God has raised up that is giving himself to a focused, ongoing discussion of calling, providing resources, providing counsel, providing wisdom. I think it's been a very confusing, muddy issue for the church that has resulted in unnecessary trouble. And I am very enthused about what you're doing and very much want to be part of that any way that I can. Thanks for joining us. Paul, we're sitting here in Tallahassee, Florida, where we have just finished conducting a conference called Dangerous Calling. But before we even talk about what makes calling dangerous, let's talk about what makes a calling real. So, Paul, in in the broadest terms, what does it even mean to be called? The first thing I would say is calling is seldom an event. It's always a process. The understanding of calling to ministry is a process. Now, I would I would say two things about this, that all of God's people are called to the work of his kingdom. In that way, everybody is called. No one is just to be a recipient of grace. Everybody is called at once to be an instrument of that grace as well. And we need to we need to speak against the consumeristic ecclesiastical culture that reduces the church to ecclesiastical Macy's. So can a man or woman be called to business or to art in the same way that someone is called to ministry? I think that a person can be positioned as God's ambassador in those places just like they're positioned to be God's ambassador in a pulpit. And both people, both people are called. My wife, quite a surprise to both of us with no art background whatsoever, was called by God to be a gallerist in Philadelphia. She's now done that for 12 years. She's now reached a level of great respect in the art community. She has wonderful opportunities that most believers would never have because she exists in that, uh, that community. She has a very clear sense of kingdom calling in that place. Now, how do you get there? Well, assessment of gifts, God-given experience, uh, sovereignly given opportunity, recognition, and commission of the body of Christ. You could say for calling, it takes a village. It's a calling is a community process. Paul, you've been in ministry now for many years, primarily as a pastor. And one of the things so many people appreciate about your ministry is just it's, it's how readily you seem to identify with other pastors. So tell us, tell our listeners about how God called you into pastoral ministry. My story is probably unique. It's uh, maybe, maybe everybody would say the story is unique. I went to uh, Christian college because my, my parents thought it was important for me to know my faith well 
and I really wanted to be a journalist. And in college, I discovered my faith, and I had deeper and fuller questions that meant rather than going for two years, I went for four years. When I graduated from college, I had deeper questions, a deeper hunger to know my faith. The Vietnam War was going on, and one of the ways you could escape the draft was to go to seminary because they had a ministerial deferment. And my my lottery number was 64, so I was going. I had received the letter. So I felt called to seminary <laughs> because I felt that that was probably a better calling than guns and bullets. But uh, it was... It was in the midst of seminary that God captured my heart, and there was this greater and greater passion to be in concentrated life way part of this kingdom work. Meanwhile, my gifts were being recognized, and both in the church and in the seminary context. Probably the closest to a a moment for me was... I was reading John Owen on mortification of flesh and mortification of sin and got to this point where he had made an exegetical point. And then what followed were essentially 14 pages of application. I got several pages in and began to weep. I thought, this is what I meant to do with my life. This is what I want to do. This is, this is what God is calling me to, to handle God's word at, with that kind of specificity. But I knew that I couldn't just make an independent decision. So I, I was a bit of a star in seminary, and so I had a bunch of denominational people come by and offer me a bright future, and I thought that was just craziness. I thought that was not the decision I should make. I left seminary, associated myself with a sound local church, and prayed that God would make my gifts recognized and would commission me into ministry. You know, some people believe that calling is a God-told-me thing, but I'm listening to your story, and, you know, it's evident that the church played a very prominent role. Why is the church so important in confirming the call? I, I would say it this way. I wasn't out to get people to recognize me. I wasn't, I wasn't out thinking, if I do this, if I do this, they'll see my gifts. Yeah. It wasn't that at all, but I knew that I wasn't meant to make this decision independently. So we associated with a very strong church. I began just to attend, and, and I, I really did believe if God has given me gifts, those gifts would be recognized by the body of Christ and I would be sent out. So what happened is I was begin to ask to teach Sunday school. I was beginning to give an opportunity to preach. And then this church decided to plant a church in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and they went to me and said, we think you're our planter. Would you go? And I want to say this to people who are out there. I can't tell you how many times in ministry that was important to me. When things were dark and things were hard, I could say to myself, this was not me chasing rainbows. This was God recognizing my gifts. This was the church sending me. Because, you know, you get in those places where you doubt your calling. And you think, how would I get myself in this mess? And the fact that this wasn't an independent decision, but made by the body of Christ representing God was very important. Yeah, it's stunning how quickly a sense of calling can evaporate yep. in the middle of a trial Absolutely. or affliction. Absolutely. 
Paul, there are pastors that are listening right now. They're, they're listening to this podcast, and they want to know how to assess men who may be called to ministry. How, how would you counsel them? Well, I, I think the first thing I would say is determine that your discipleship and mentoring of young men is not just exegetical, theological, informational. Is that important? Yes. Do you want men to know their faith? Yes. But you you must disciple the heart. You must know men at the heart level. My experience in seminary is that some of the brightest minds that I had the opportunity to teach had some of the most troubled hearts, that big theological brains and diseased hearts. And so I, I want to have pastoral heart focus with these, these men, humility, approachability, the courage of loving honesty, the ability to receive criticism, to grant forgiveness, zeal for the things of God, not hooked by the love of the world, not arrogant in their their theology, not wanting power and control. I want to ask myself the question, what excites this young man about ministry? What is it that excites him? Because I think that his ministry will always be shaped by the true condition of of his heart. Second thing I would say is you want to get away from a culture that sort of pushes any mature young man who's serious about his faith toward ministry. That's just sort of like the next thing to do. If I'm really serious about Jesus, I'm going to become a pastor. Because it's clear from the New Testament that God gives a variety of gifts. It's clear that God sovereignly positions people in various places that there's a glory to being a biblically-rooted, grace-driven lawyer or doctor or businessman or whatever. And it's just as honoring to serve God in that way and to celebrate that placement as it is to be a senior pastor. So I want to demystify ministry. I want to normalize it so that it doesn't seem like I'm a second-tier Christian if I'm not in in full-time full-time ministry. Well, let's talk about seminary for a second because I know you you value seminary, you work with Redeemer Seminary, <coughs> you've graduated from Westminster Theological Seminary, but uh, I've heard you comment in fact in Dangerous Calling, you've raised some concerns about the contributions that seminaries can make into the calling of men and into the pastoral culture of churches in particular. So, what counsel would you have for a guy listening who is considering seminary? Well, well I think you, you need to understand the resident weaknesses of the seminary involvement. I'm very thankful for seminary. I'm very thankful for the men that had enormous impact on my life. I was a professor for 20 years. But the seminary is not to be confused with the local church. What happens in seminary is the faith that we hold dear gets academized. And the academizing of the faith makes that theology abstract, esoteric, impersonal, informational. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous 
to become comfortable with holding the transforming Word of God quite separate from my everyday life. Uh, because theology is not an end in itself. Theology is a means to an end. Uh, I think one of the things that's happened in seminary that I've written about is over the last hundred years, there's been this slow but very significant change in the the culture of seminaries. If you go back a hundred or so years, every seminary professor was a former pastor. The classroom was populated by churchmen who loved the local church. Everything they did was with the local church in view. The history professor would come around in front of his desk and would say, maybe this seems unimportant, but let's talk about the impact of this particular struggle of the church on your ministry. Well, what's happened with the specialization of theological education is that the seminary classroom is now regularly populated by men who have never been pastors. There's a separation of education and ecclesiology. Yeah. And so they've gone from a BA to an MA to a PhD, and they're in the seminary classroom not because they're churchmen, this is an important distinction, but because they're experts in a certain field. And maybe the only thing you ever really do in teaching, which is scary to think about, is clone yourself. So a person, it's hard for a person who's never been a pastor to in his area of teaching to clone pastors. What we clone, and I think this is very important, is little language experts, little exegesis experts, little theology experts, little church history experts. You collect those together, you still don't have a pastor. And the expertise in those fields is necessary, but they don't replace pastors and and the church. What you have is is a multifaceted expert. That's why... Nobody ever goes from medical textbooks to doing surgery. Thankfully. Yeah, because knowing all those things doesn't make me a doctor. Knowing all, all those things makes me an anatomy, physiology, and disease expert. But I need, I need to be guided to know what it means to actually diagnose and care for real living human beings, real flesh. And so the same thing needs to to happen. So what would I say to men? First of all, as you understand that weakness, compensate for it. Have a vibrant, humble, I'm being mentored relationship to your local church. Second, get next to seminary professors who have pastoral care. Get to know them. Benefit from that. A third, determine to create a cohort group of fellow seminary students that gets together once a week and says, okay, we've all been in the same classrooms. What do we do personally in terms of our own walk with God with what we've learned this week? And finally, I would say prioritize seminaries that tend to be moving toward being more of a pastoral community. That's Paul Tripp. And it's evident when you listen to this man that he thinks deeply, he thinks theologically about a wide range of things. We're going to hear more from Paul in our next podcast when we're going to talk together about art and culture. Please plan on joining us. Thank you for listening to the Am I Called podcast, which was brought to you today by Four Oaks Community Church in Tallahassee, Florida. 
For more articles, interviews, and resources on calling and pastoral ministry, visit micalled.com.